At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thank you very much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Buy it or fade it. We are talking about the tech run. Been nothing short of stunning this month, but has it run out of steam? The Investment Committee debating that now critical question. Joining me for the hour, Josh Brown, Liz Young, right here at Post 9, along with Jim Labenthal. Let's take you to the market, show you what is going on today. NASDAQ has been in the red today, as tech has been a loser, Com services as well. The Dow still holding on to a gain, as you see, of near 87 points. But Liz, you know, you look at this amazing tech run. If Fang Index, by the way, is up 30% quarter to date. Okay, tech the second best quarter this month, this year. You think, though, it is a fade at this point? At this point, yeah. I mean, the Qs are up 15% on the year. I don't think we're going to have 15% quarters for the rest of 2023. So if you entered that trade at the end of last year or maybe around that October low, if you were lucky enough to do it that way, I think this is an okay time to start fading it and take that beta off the table. I think a lot of investors have rotated during this first quarter of the year back into big tech, and perhaps rightfully so, as rates come, came down. Well, it's like ra- rates come down, right. regionals are worrisome, Correct. the economy's worrisome, so right. cyclicals haven't been the place to be. All of that money has been rotating. The question well, is, is it going to rotate out? I think the interesting part is that it's rotating inside the equity market still, and it hasn't necessarily all come out of the equity market. That probably is next if there is a recession confirmed and if what Gunlock talked about yesterday comes to fruition, which it would come in the next three to four months or so, then you would expect money to rotate out of the equity market, in which case this is a great opportunity to take some gains in tech. I'm not saying sell out of it entirely. Look, some of those names, if you're holding them in a long-term portfolio, if this is your retirement portfolio, absolutely keep some of it. But if you've become overweight tech in this big run, take some gains. So, Josh, text forward P.E., and this is courtesy of Liz Ann Saunders uh, from yesterday on on Twitter. It's up 30 percent since October. And Bank of America says the money's still going there. Biggest week of inflow since October into tech seen buying every week but one year to date. So what do you make of this? Answer the critical question, which really is, do you continue to buy into it or do you just start to fade it? Well, I don't, I don't know that you want to fade it, but I also don't know that you necessarily have to be a buyer. I think most investors have large cap technology and or communications and or discretionary uh, tech names like Amazon in their portfolios already. So I think for most people, they're not sitting there without these stocks. And the real question is, do I let them run? I think the answer is yes. And I would just, I would point this out to people. We go through this exercise with clients when it's getting toward the end of the year, we're allocated for the next year. Not that the calendar is that important, but this exercise is, you look at the quilt 
um, the, you know, the 11 sectors in the S&P, what did the best in 2022, what did the worst. There's always that hesitation, why would we want to be in these worst sectors going into the new year? Well, tell me what the story is. Why is everyone selling them? Why doesn't anyone want to own them? The story is very well known. Every investor, retail, professional, they can reel off, oh, you don't want to own tech because of A, B, C, D. Okay, great. You watch a lot of television. Congratulations. Look at the performance this year. It is literally the, the, the reverse bizarro image of the first yep. three months of last year. Yep. Through, through March 27th, the three worst performing sectors year to date, energy down 13, financials down 12, utilities down 10. The top two, communications and tech, both up 13. Literally the reverse, um, the performance this year. And so just understanding that what goes around comes around. And eventually, uh, most things find a way to come back. A lot of people give up on them before they do. So let me just give a little bit more color to that P-E ratio. And then we'll get Jim in the mix, because I know he's losing his mind right now. The median <laughs> P-E for the XLK, that's just tech, is 27 times. The median forward PE for the XLK is 21 times. I want you to contrast that with January of 2022. The median PE was 35 and the median forward was 26. So yes, we've had PE expansion for tech since the lows in October, but let's not cherry pick that one specific date. If you go back to early 22, tech was much more expensive than it is now both on trailing and on forward. Um, and the fact that they trade at a uh, premium to the overall S&P should not mm -hmm. be the thing that has you fading or selling because guess what? They always do. It's a good point. One that, you know, Lori Calvacina, Jim seems to share, tech sector valuations have room to run, is what she says. Um, look, if you're worried about growth, you're gonna go where the growth is. You're going to go where the money is if you're you know, worried about companies, their balance sheets, at least in some sectors. You got a lot of cash flow within technology. It's not a you know, rocket science as to why money has flowed here. But it is, to Josh's point, the great offsides trade, if you want to call it that. Because hardly anybody came into this year thinking that tech was going to have the early run that it's had in the first three months. Yeah. I, I think you nailed it when you said if you're worried about growth and then a whole lot follows from that. Meaning if you're worried about growth, the playbook from the last decade, which may well apply here, is the only place you're going to get growth in earnings in a growth slowdown or a recession is tech. And then also consider that if mega tech. Okay. Uh, then also consider if you're going into recession, it's likely that rates come down. And what happens to multiples when rates come down? They go up. So the comment that Josh was making about multiples is exactly apropos. To me, what this comes down to then is for the investor trying to decide whether to fade it or trade it, uh, you need to ask yourself what you think the chances are of a recession. If you think there's a recession, then yes, this is the place to be. If you think, as I do, that although the chances of a recession have gone up, there still is the base case that supply chain onshoring and infrastructure spending will favor cyclical earnings going forward, then you'd rather be in those cyclical sectors. That's where I am. So you're not moved at very much, it doesn't sound, by the recent events. I, I am moved. You I are. Am moved. So, I, I mean, let, so me, let's let be, me be clear. Let's be clear, because be I don't think you're clear being clear. Well, but, because let me tell you something. I, I hear you on the big picture of onshoring and infrastructure yeah. spending. 
that's not going to buy a ham sandwich in the next 12 so, months, so, given everything so, that's going on. Correct. So let me, I, I think I've said this a few times, but with particularly what the Fed did last week, the odds of a recession in my mind have gone up. Okay. I don't still think that it's the base case, but it has gone up. And the only thing I can say about what the Fed did, raising rates 25 basis points, I don't care about the dovish stance. Okay. The banking system just had a heart attack. Okay, and you've now raised the cost of their deposit funding. It's like taking that heart attack victim who survived and is in the intensive care unit and saying, guess what? I want you to go run two miles, five miles. It's just the wrong move. Yeah, I understand that. But if if you think that the banking system just had a heart attack, the base case for when you would get out of the hospital is you need to rest. Right. You can't live your life like you did before. Right away, at least. So why do you still think the base case is for no recession? Um, Seems of, like you want it both ways. No, I don't really. I mean, I, let me be clear again, because it's important to be clear. I have raised the odds of a recession, but I'm still at a greater than 50 percent chance that we avoid it. So what is the difference here, Scott? Number one, the strength of the economy. And it's and I know that's going to that's going to decline. It's going to decline. You've got a credit contraction coming. However, this economy is growing pretty rapidly right now and employment is strong. So there's cushion here. Um, the other aspect, which I've already mentioned, is there are some powerful economic forces, which may not get derailed in the next six months. You know, you think about all these hundreds of billions of dollars being built on semiconductor plants and automobile plants. Those are likely to power through a small recession, not through a large recession, but through a small recession. So it's what I kind of talked about with Gunlock yesterday in Closing Bell, who's like, all you need is the job market to start rolling over, Mm -hmm. which he thinks is going to be a formality. Here's what he said about his predictions of a recession and when he thinks it may come. I think all in all, uh, the economic headwinds are building. We've been talking about this for a while, and I think that the recession is is here in a few in a few months. Um, All we really need is the unemployment rate to go higher. You want to uh, opine? You agree with that? I do agree with that. Just a few months away? Maybe sooner, right? I mean, I think we talked about this on the show yesterday. I'd rather just get it over with in April and kind of confirm that the economic data is moving in the wrong direction and go on with our lives later in the year. But to to the market point, sort of to Jim's point and to Josh's point, if there is a recession that occurs or if there is a downturn that occurs, the market's going to drop first, right? We're going to see some sort of correction. If it's a a correction because of a recession, I think tech actually holds up better than the cyclicals. I think financials get hit harder, materials, industrials, because that's not what happened last year. Last year was a rate-driven drawdown. If this is a recession drawdown, cyclicals get hit harder, tech probably holds up okay. But the whole market draws down in that scenario. And the formula typically goes market, then earnings, then economy. So if that's a market correction, then we confirm an earnings recession, which would be possible after this quarter earnings season is over. And then the economic data really confirms that things are slowing down. You see sort of a bottom in all of it. And then we go on, right? So I think it's actually still possible that we do have a decent second half to this year if what Gunlock says happens and if what I feel like is coming happens in the next I don't 60 to 90 days. Josh, you want to weigh in on on what Gunlock had to say and also, you know, this idea, okay, well, if you do think that a recession is coming, maybe you want to continue to ride tech rather than fade it. Microsoft's price target today, BMO takes it to 305. 
There are other calls throughout the space almost every day that suggest to stay here because price targets continue to go way up. Okay. So last year, the real economy, the Main Street economy, way outperformed the stock market. This year could be a reversal of that where the stock market does way better than the underlying deterioration in economic conditions for most people. And that's, that's happened plenty of times before, and it's not completely unreasonable to think that that is a probable outcome this year. And here is why. We now know um, that there, were, there was a huge shock for the banks, not just the little banks, not just the rescued banks, all banks. There was a huge wake-up call, and we have had the concomitant tightening of lending standards that you always have after a financial shock. And that tightening is no joke. Um, data coming out of uh, Bank of America Research, for example, and they're looking at Federal Reserve data. Um, but the number of banks that have tightened their lending standards just in the last couple of weeks, uh, it's now about 50% of banks. And that number is going higher. And anytime it's gotten to this level, it has been either concurrent or presaging a recession. Um, here's why. 65% of all of the, the jobs that have been created have come from small and mid-sized businesses. And those are the companies, the small, under 500 employees, um, they are the lifeblood of new hiring, uh, and they are not going to have the access to working capital that they did, and that is contracting very rapidly. And these top types of banking shocks historically, they don't come and go. It's like a bomb goes off, everybody looks around, what just happened, and the delayed reaction is, Everybody chills out on making loans, on giving loans to people they otherwise wouldn't, et cetera. And that sets off a chain reaction. So that's the economic piece of it. And I think Gunlock is right. And I think most of the people who have this view are going to be right. We could have something completely ahistorical. And we all say, oh, wow, that was a one-off. That's possible. But the probability is not on our side. That being said, wealthy people do really well when interest rates go up. Wealthy people don't go, oh, no, I'll never get a mortgage now, because they don't care about that. The money they're making on their portfolios when rates go up 400, 500 basis points far outweighs the negative consequences of what happens, let's say, when a middle-class family now has to pay more to get a mortgage. Like, the, if you look at the early 80s, wealthy people made a fortune in the early 80s, and that's who owns the stock market. 89% of the stock market is owned by the top 10% of Americans. So there is a scenario where we fall into recession in the second half of this year, but the stock market holds up. And the most emblematic individual equity that will tell you if that's right will be Apple. Nobody's throwing their iPhone away because it's too expensive. Like that is a perfect example of a company that can ride out a recession because it's a consumer staple for wealthy people. And they're just not being affected in the same way from the tightening of lending that middle class and, and, and lower income people are. So that's a reality that we, we might witness this year. Don't be shocked if tech holds up in the face of that reality. Apple's up 21% in the quarter. Your NVIDIA, Josh, is up 79% in the quarter. That's the best quarter since Q2 of 03. Meta's up 66% in the quarter. The best quarter since Q3 of 13. So we've had a lot of distance between the kind of performance that we're seeing now versus, you know, the best of 
if you will. Um, so we're going to look at those gains and say, well, I don't know. You know, 70, you really feel like 79% of NVIDIA for NVIDIA in this quarter is, I hate to use the word justified, but I don't know a better word. I mean, 80% no. for that stock in the quarter? No, I wrote, a, I wrote a blog post a month ago called the AI bubble of 2023. And NVIDIA is uh, going to be the, the, the grand marshal of that parade, twirling the baton down Main Street. That's going to be an all-year story. And you are going to see valuations in the small handful of AI stocks that are going to make you, uh, going to give you vertigo. And that's before the IPOs start, because when that starts... That's going to be insanity 2021 style. We don't have enough AI plays in the stock market relative to the amount of demand there is to cash in on AI. And so that phenomenon of NVIDIA, what it's been doing, you can chalk that up to scarcity. The scarcity won't last. They'll do 100 AI IPOs before the end of the year. You could trust me on this. I talk to the, the people underwriting these deals. I talk to the venture capitalists selling these companies to Wall Street. It's going to be an orgy. But until that happens, you don't have a lot of choices. If you want to be an NVIDIA, uh, an AI, NVIDIA is like the biggest way to do it. It's a large cap. It's liquid. The hedge funds know it. The CEO does television. It checks so many boxes. So I think that's what's going on there. You know, Jim, I, I feel like because you, you mentioned how, you know, you're a little not as bullish. I, I'm not going to ascribe bearish to you because it doesn't don't. sound that way. But. <laughs> In the same light, I feel like your bullish scenario has suffered a slow leak. It has. And it has, Scott. Okay. Well, we all know, you know, the guy who sells Flex Seal isn't <laughs> running over here to save the day anytime soon. We stop all know what happens. We laugh. all know what happens when there's a slow leak, it becomes a bigger leak. Okay. So, um, explain to me why that's not going to happen and why you still want to stay with industrial okay. type stocks and cyclicals. Don't tell me onshoring. No, no, no. I, well, well, I just, right just hang on. Let me let me answer your question because I was thinking about this as I was listening to Josh and he had a turn of phrase that I caught on. What's that guy's was, name? Phil Swift. Is he the one who runs to the rescue with with Flex Seal? <laughs> he makes the boat stick to a. I thought I'm know, the a, one who's supposed to give like examples from last century. No, Josh said something. Um, you know, it would be atypical, right, to not get the recession, or the odds are against you. It would something ahistorical, and I think that's right. And I think there is something ahistorical going on here. I think there is a lot more industrial activity, and I won't. I won't trigger you with supply chain onshoring. As I was listening to Josh, Boeing flipped up on the screen, right, as one of the leaders. Now, not because I own it, but because this is germane to the point. Boeing is producing airplanes as fast as they can get jet engines. They, all they, they've got seven years of backlogs. The airlines want them. The airlines are ordering more. And here's the point. That will consist, that will stay there through a short, shallow recession. Now, if you get something like 08 through 2010, then orders are going to be canceled, no question about it. I don't hear very many people calling for a sharp, hard, enduring recession. Short, shallow recession, I hear a lot. And well, my point is this, let me just finish okay. it. That industrial activity, okay. I get you, you don't want to hear supply chain onshoring. Guess what? I don't want to say it again. It's more than that. It's more than that. You look at a company like Boeing, you look at what's being produced in America, it is in demand. The problem is the events and the credit contraction that Josh says is already taking place will have a more dramatic impact on earnings than you would have thought 
earnings would have taken a hit before the, that all happened. Yep. Which is why your base case of either soft or no landing has taken a more severe hit than maybe you might be willing to believe. That might I go be to true. Katie Huberty, for example, yep. today, Morgan Stanley. Company earnings guidance, which has much higher downside risk after the events of the past few weeks, have clouded visibility on loan growth. U.S. equity market is at greater risk of pricing in much lower estimates ahead of any change on the hard data. In other words, the writing's on the wall. The writing is on the wall of, of what's still to come in terms of earnings as credit continues to contract, as loan growth continues to slow. So I think of my buddy, our mutual friend, Steve Weiss, who if he were here, he would say, who cares about the multiple? The earnings are going down. And if you put a, you know, if you put a 16 times multiple on $200 of earnings this year, you get to 3,200. Steve, I got you. But I don't think that what's the, that's what the market's talking about. The market is talking about, at worst, a short, shallow recession that we come out of, as you mentioned, second half of this year, that we come out of next year, and that maybe those $250 a share in earnings on S&P 500 next year are not fantastic fantastical in light of what I'm talking about in terms of industrial activity. That, what I just said, I don't think sounds far-fetched. Now, what would be far-fetched if I said, oh yeah, there's no effect from what went on the last two weeks. Of course there's an effect. And I'm recognizing it, but what I'm saying is, if we get a recession, if, short and shallow, and next year, which is what this market seems to be focused on, you're back in clear sailing. I mean, I've asked, you know, bears, well, what gets you more bullish? And it's you know, the idea that you have to think that earnings have troughed, mm -hmm. which you don't believe they have. And you've no. made that case, which is why you can't make the turn. Yeah. Right. You can't make the turn from being negative to more positive on the market because you just don't believe that the earnings numbers are still legit, yeah, for lack of I, a better word. I don't think it makes sense that we're going to be flat year over year after 12 months of raising rates, 475 basis points. So, okay, let, I want to back up a minute here, though. So the recession, if we have a short and shallow recession, think about the problem we need to solve. Think, try to think of a recession as solving a problem. The problem we have is that supply and demand is out of balance, right? There's, supply has not been able to keep up with demand. Demand is still too strong. If it's short and shallow, all it really has to do is hit the sectors where that is imbalanced. So that's things like retail. That's things like housing. Home prices still haven't really come down that much. That's things like some industrials. There's been a lot of travel, right? So think back in 2022, what drove inflation? Travel, cars, retail spending, housing, all those things still have to come back in balance. Those are the cyclical parts of the economy. Well, aren't the those stuff already got taken care of yeah. valuation wise, which is why I think it still holds up better than some of the other stuff. So if it's short and shallow, we fix those imbalances. I don't want to oversimplify, but then I do think that we can come out on the other side. But in, in hey, that short and shallow one is when earnings would trough. Josh, yeah. Just, I, I, just to add something in there, Liz, I apologize. I think it's really important to just point out, even if you end up, if Jim ends up being right on the earnings picture, hypothetically, um, and we get to, you know, 205, 210, something in that neighborhood. It doesn't really tell you anything about what's going to happen this calendar year with stock prices. And you really don't have to go that far to find an example of exactly what I'm talking about. Just look at last year. We had a 26% sell-off peak to trough from January through Halloween last year. What do you think earnings did while the stock market lost a quarter of its value? Earnings went up six or seven percent. 
So if I, if I spotted you the number in January of last year, I said, hey, Jimmy, great news. The S&P uh, 500 earnings have grow 6% this year. You think he would have guessed in a million years we'd be looking at a 30% decline in the P.E. ratio and a, and a, and a, and a, and a 26% drop in, in price? Nobody would forecast that. So it's really important that we, we remind ourselves the stock market is not just earnings. It's price to earnings. We don't know what they're going to do with the multiple. If inflation stays high between now and December and they never get around to cutting rates or worse, they keep hiking. Do you really think you're going to get multiple expansion? And so even if your earnings number comes true, you can't tell me where that puts the stock market. I can't tell you either. Oh, make that the last word. Let's do that. I'm going to take a quick break. I'd love to come back to that. Let's go quick then, real quick. Okay, right I'm going to bounce it off of Liz because she brought up airlines. Real and, you quick. know, just think about my beloved Alaska Airlines. Yeah. We've had through the roof traffic. That thing peaked in May of 2021, Scott, almost two years ago. So to uh, Josh's comment, price does matter. These things have been slaughtered. Everybody's been waiting for this recession. That may be the opportunity. All right. Up next, we're going to talk about Warren Buffett's Berkshire buying even more shares of Occidental Petroleum. We'll debate whether you should follow suit, what it says about Berkshire, which as you know, Josh owns. We'll talk energy as well. If it's right for a big bounce back, we're back in two. This episode is brought to you by AARP. 10 years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs and the small dogs who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. All right, welcome back to the Halftime Report. Occidental shares, they are moving higher once again, near 4%, as you see on your screen. Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway buying even more the third time this month. So, Josh Brown, you own Berkshire. You don't own Oxy, uh, but you might as well, considering you know, how much he has increased his stake. What do you think of this move? Well, every time this stock has gone below 60, he's been buying. So it's not a surprise. Uh, I think it's great that um, that Berkshire is still in a place where they're putting on these big bets. And, uh, you know, it, it seems to be very company specific. It's not like this is one of those situations where they're buying five different oil stocks. This really seems to be the one that they want to uh, acquire. So as a shareholder, it's nice to go along for the ride on that trade. The dividends that will flow to Berkshire ultimately become part of the earnings growth of the company that... Uh, I have a share of. And that's, I think, the way Berkshire shareholders view it. Do you feel, I mean, maybe this question doesn't make sense, but I, I don't know. I'm, 
Do you feel his continued buy of, of this stock puts in any way a, a broader floor, at least in the, the idea of where energy stocks can go? It's like, you know, does Buffett know something we don't, as usual? Um, he continues to buy Oxy. Some have wondered about where the energy trade itself is going. But as long as he keeps buying at least that one stock, does it at least make you feel in some respects like you don't want to get too negative on the space? So in my personal opinion, and I could be wrong, I don't think that uh, Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett sit around making oil and natural gas price forecasts. I think they have a comfort level with the company's current profitability um, and, its, and its profile and its ability to generate those, those profits into the future. Um, I think that that's the kind of comfort level that comes from decades of watching the dynamics of commodity type industries and staying out of most of them. Historically, Berkshire has not made big commodity bets. It's just not what they do. So I think that's not the reason they're buying it. I don't think they, they specifically have a price target in their heads about where oil could go or where natural gas could go. I think they just like the setup here. You've got a sector that's had uh, chronic underinvestment for over a decade. Um, and you've got a leading company that seems to have the best leases, the best management, the best ability to bring product to market, and a cost structure that makes it so they are highly profitable. And that has the hallmark of the type of stock that uh, Berkshire Hathaway has historically bought and held. So this does not appear to be a situation where they're trading it because they think it's 10% undervalued or anything like that. This appears mm -hmm. to be a situation where they see a company that will have enduring uh, profitability over time. And that, I think, speaks to the size of the investment that they've made. Monster stake, 23.5% now uh, is the size of the Berkshire stake in Oxy. You continue, Liz, to like energy? I do like energy. I mean, so there's this range that everybody thought the Biden administration would start buying and, and refilling the SPR. Yeah, which they we didn't. They didn't. There's probably some politics behind that. But even in a worst case scenario, let's say a recession comes, obviously energy gets hit in a cyclical drawdown. But at, at that point, let's say that happens around the debt ceiling, which is June, that'll heat up. It starts heating up in April. You have a deadline in June. That's a great opportunity for the administration to buy oil, right? So I still think that there is a decent floor on that price. I like energy here. I like it for the long term and, and honestly in the short term. Yeah. All right. I mean, it's a much bigger conversation as to, you know, why they didn't refill the SPR when they had such a great opportunity in, in the slide. But yeah, it we will last we, very long. we will do that. No, but. A lot of people were talking about it. <laughs> All right. Coming up, a check on the chips. The ETF that tracks that space up more than 20% this year. Half the stock seeing double-digit gains in 2023, including a big name reporting in overtime in just a few hours' time. We're back right after this. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. 
Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Bertha Coombs, and here's our top news at this hour. The United Kingdom's MI5 intelligence service has raised Northern Ireland's domestic terrorism threat level to severe, which means an attack is highly likely. The change comes after recent attacks targeting police officers. U.S. highway safety regulators have opened an investigation into issues with seatbelts in some Tesla Model X vehicles. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration has received two complaints from Tesla owners that the front belts came loose while driving when force was exerted. Neither incident involved a crash. And electricity generated from renewables surpassed coal power production in the United States for the first time in 2022 according to the Energy Information Administration. The change was primarily driven by the growth of wind and solar power. Scott, back over to you. All right, Bertha, thank you. Bertha Coombs. All right, let's talk some Micron. Lower ahead of its earnings report in overtime tonight. Shares are up 16% this year, puts it on track to break a five-quarter losing streak. Christina Partzinevelos looking at the numbers of what we should expect and what it might mean for the overall space. Christina. Well, the street is bracing for the worst, driving Micron lower today, like you said. For example, cities expecting negative gross margins for the first time since the great financial crisis and a billion-dollar inventory write-off. T.D. Cowan says, and this is widely expected, Morgan Stanley expects difficult conditions to persist. So although many of these analysts have lowered their estimates, they're still pretty bullish on this name, predicting... The bottom is near for memory prices. And we had lower prices just over the last little while because of high inventory levels. Customers stocked up on consumer end products and servers, some even double ordering. That's why Micron CFO said earlier this month at a conference that they expect, quote, a material inventory write down. The guesses are anywhere between half a billion and a billion dollars, so definitely not cheap. But Mike, memory is seen as the last chip to fall, which is why shares are underperforming names like AMD and Intel on a month to date basis that you're seeing on your screen. Micron, for example, up only one percent. Intel up almost 16 and a half percent. For AMD and Intel, though, the bottom was already called for those two names, considering their exposure to smartphones and PCs. If anything, Intel appears to be gaining some market share over AMD with its new product in the PC market, and more specifically with CPUs. And the lead times have also improved, and that's helping share prices. And so that's why you're seeing the discrepancy between Micron and AMD and uh, Intel. And I didn't even mention NVIDIA, but I know you already spoke about yeah. with that with Josh Brown. So that, that's, that's the whole okay. AI I mean, thing. I'm thinking of that, though, too, Christina, in the fact that, you know, when NVIDIA reported and met the moment, so to speak, that was deemed at that moment as not only a litmus test of sorts for the tech trade overall, but but the chips. And now I just wonder, because these are so distinctly different businesses, whether we should even think about Micron as the latest litmus test for a space that, as we've said, has done quite well, up 22 percent year to date. I think that's an excellent point and we need to differentiate between a lot of these chip makers because they do not fall into the same categories. For example, Marvel has more expo uh, ex uh, exposure to, to cars or NXP, I should say. And then you have Micron Memory, Intel, you know, they're trying to work on their foundry business, but they're more involved with lagging nodes and, and PCs. So you can't just lump them all together. And NVIDIA, like uh, Josh Brown, he was right on. That is an AI play. There's not many AI plays out there there and Nvidia is capitalizing on it being the first mover and so that's why you're seeing such a discrepancy between all of these names nonetheless they're still higher uh, the SMH the SOX all higher year to date 
Yeah. Christina, thank you. We'll see what happens just a few hours from now uh, in overtime when Mike Brown reports. NXP, you have um, Qualcomm 2. Yep. Your hopes, I know you don't own Micron, but where are your hopes in terms of what, what that could, could do and what it might mean for Qualcomm or whoever else you have? So, Christina did a great job there. They're not all alike, okay? And Micron is actually more of a macro indicator at this point in time. I'm not being pejorative when I say their chips go into washing machines. Their chips literally go into washing machines. So, do we think this is a time frame in which people are buying new toaster ovens and durable goods and that sort of stuff? Nah, maybe not. So, I'm not expecting that much, Scott, uh, from Micron. But the point that Christina's making, which I'm going to accent here, is not all semiconductors are alike. We know Josh knows everything about NVIDIA. If you look Look at NXP, that's about automotive semiconductor demand. Hey, guess what? They can't build these cars fast enough. Uh, you see what's going on with used cars prices. We need more cars and you need chips to get them. Why Qualcomm. is NX, well, NXP's down 4% in a month, right? It's up 8.5% year to date. It's the, the loser out of the group of what we're talking about. Micron, NVIDIA, Qualcomm, even though, you know, yeah, I think your I estimation... Think you know, I think there's the car some, business is overwhelmingly strong. Well, I think there's some lingering concerns, obviously, about a recession, but I think there's a misinterpretation about what a recession means for NXP. A recession may mean that people are buying fewer cars off the lot. However, the OEMs, GM, Ford, everybody has to produce to replenish inventory that is way, way, way down from three years ago. They're going to keep producing, and that's going to keep producing demand for NXP chips. So that's why I would stay bullish on NXP. And All, right. All right. We'll uh, bang out another break coming up. An upgrade for one of Farmer Jim's favorite stocks. The analysts think shares could rise more than 50% from these levels, which is why that's our call of the day. We'll do it next. All right, we're back. Let's get to a few calls of the day, starting with one of Farmer Jim's favorite stocks. It's Paramount, and it's up nicely. Not as high as it was earlier in the session, still up 4%. Bank of America, all right, buy. Price target 32 from 24. They talk about two outcomes, and I want you to tell me which outcome you think is more likely, okay? Because they, they say which one they think is going to happen. Number one, they execute on their pivot towards streaming. Okay, I'll just, I'm shortening it, but that's choice number one. Number two, they struggle and then they sell. And they do at a significant premium, which is the likely view according to the analyst over at B of A. Obviously, I'm happy with the report. My answer to your question is option one. I think the pivot is successful. It's continuing to be successful. Uh, and we'll see in the next earnings report. I mean, they've been adding subscribers hand over fist. But I think, um, look, there's a few things to say here. On the breakup value or the sale value, I don't think Sherry Redstone's going to sell. So I don't, you know, it's, it's a good way of looking at it. The stock trades at 60% of book value, but how do you get management to sell? I'm not sure you do. Um, why it's a good way still to look at it, though, is because if you're focused on earnings right now, this is the peak investment year right now, not next year, right now. Okay, and so if you look at the earnings, you say, oh, my God, it's so expensive. And how are they going to fund the dividend? But what you miss is that next year is the inflection point. Earnings, free cash flow, everything should be going up if, Scott, if, Scott, the subscriber counts continue to come in as they have been, which is to say great. And so I'm in option one. And you think that's more likely outcome than option here's, here's two. Why, here's why I think it's more likely. is because quarter after quarter, these guys deliver on the subscriber count. Quarter after quarter. And they haven't gotten the respect. I'm hopeful, hopeful, uh, that this is... Well, I mean, they're adding the subscribers, first. but the growth numbers are not 
what they were, are they? No, what the issue, the growth numbers have been fine. It's the spend on the content, right? That's what's knocked them down is how much they're spending to get these subscribers. But after a while, those subscribers equate to profitability and the spend should be at this moment at peak and coming out of it in terms of the amount. I think what's going to be interesting here, Scott, is you'll remember last year, I'm sure you remember, it was like, was anyone left to downgrade this stock? I mean, it was hilarious, except it wasn't for hey, me. Hey, Jim, uh, well, I mean, it's down see, 43% let's, a year. Let's see if this starts other analysts looking at this and saying, look, it just got bear mauled too much. Josh. Um, I'm curious if you have any concerns about the very heavy reliance of Paramount um, as a product on one creator. Uh, Taylor Sheridan is making all the shows that people are watching, with a few exceptions. 1923, 1883, the Yellowstone spinoffs, Mayor of Kingstown, uh, King, Tulsa King. Like, are they, are they, do they have anything else cooking that anyone is interested in? Because it seems like a precarious situation if you're relying solely on one studio or one creator or one genre, and all three of those appear to be the case here. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I hear the question. I, I'm not worried about it. I and mean, I think you can look at the studios, the movie studios, as a key example. And I know Paramount would and does. And they point to the success of things like Top Gun Maverick in driving subscriber upticks, meaning that they put Top Gun Maverick on Paramount Plus and then they drive subscriber counts. So, you know, it's a good point you make. It's not particularly keeping me up at night, though, because of what I see from the studios, just as an example. Then there's sports, right? CBS Sports. Yes, I know you'll point out you can get that live on TV, but that's still, to the overall Paramount value, pretty significant. Josh, what do you think about Ulta Beauty, which is the other stock I wanted to talk to you about, because it did get initiated with a buy at Canaccord. You did have it as one of your stock summit picks. Yeah, I think it's recession proof. If you talk to people under the age of 50 and it's, it's a private moment where no one else overhears what's being said um, <laughs> and you ask them, like, what's the most important thing that you really care about? It's what you look like on Zoom or Instagram and uh or or TikTok, and that's just not going to change and ulta is the arms dealer to the new reality that we all live in which is hybrid which is on screen all the time everyone's an influencer etc so it's a 19 forward pe 10 percent uh expected earnings per share growth i don't know why that couldn't be exceeded um it's up 12 percent year to date it's up 33 percent over the past year most of what i'm saying I think people already understand it's not a variant perception, but it doesn't need to be. Uh, I think it's a popular trade that could stay popular. All right, up next, Mike Santoli with his midday word right here, post nine, when halftime comes back. We're back, senior markets commentator Mike Santoli here at post nine for his midday word. Welcome back. What's uh, what's on your mind today? You know, it's one of those days where uh, the market dares you to try to tell it what it's about because it really is just kind of sitting there. Two days in a row, though, where very clearly and mechanically the market is betting the field against the favorites, right? You have the, the stuff that worked last week is, is giving some back um, and in a, in a very uh, kind of orderly way, like I would tech argue. Tech and com services tech talking and growth. about. Tech is, is on the downside. Again, for not really a catalyst reason, I think it's much more about 
boy, that, lo- that relationship looked a little bit stretched. Mm. And the question to me was, do you get a sharp pullback in what's worked this month? Uh, and that really takes the tape lower, or can you make up the difference? So far, making up the difference, I wouldn't say it's, it's decisive just yet. And then, you know, yields continue to leak a little bit higher, right? I mean, we've over-anticipated an immediate downturn in the consumer and, you know, in the economy in general a few times now. And the consumer confidence numbers today seem like it gave an excuse to, to have those yields go back up. And uh, it's making it very difficult to try and tell a persuasive story about what the bond market is saying about what the economy and the Fed will do. Because am I believing the two-year today at 406 or four days ago at 350 or six days ago at 420 or whatever it was? So, you know, it, it's, it's very much a moving target that's not helping you out. But right now in the here and now, the market is, is willing to just let volatility bleed away through this rotation. I think we, you know, those confidence numbers were reflective before the bank Mostly issues before. came yes. to light. So. We know that there was some sort of psychological impact from all of that. I also wonder, you know, there's only a few days obviously left in in the quarter. You know, do you start to get a little bit of window dressing for for Q2 where you do have, you know, another Fed meeting coming. You start to get more inflation data. You got a lot of Fed speak. Yes. Earnings, et cetera, et cetera. I do think Friday's inflation number is is the one that people seem to be building toward in terms of a known catalyst. I'm not sure what you would dress the window with at this point, because what worked in the last week, yeah. month is not what worked for the whole quarter. Well, let's say this. If, if you think that rates are going to continue to go up, sure. are you starting to slowly move out of the tech and the comp services and the growth? Yeah, or you just feel like here. that just it's outperformed it's by out. too much yeah. and you've gotten most of the benefit and, you know, you didn't get the 10 year fully breaking down in yield. So maybe that's uh, that's arguable. We'll see if that develops. All right. I'll see you in a couple hours. That's Mike Santoli. Midday word straight ahead. Final trades from the committee. Hope you'll join me on Closing Bell, 3 o'clock Eastern Time. Dan Greenhouse, Victoria Green on what lies ahead for this market. Try and dig a little deeper, too, into exactly what happened at SVB. Seems the alarm bells were going off for a while, at least for regulators. Why didn't they do anything? We'll tackle that question as well a couple hours' time. 3 o'clock Eastern on Closing Bell. Let's do final trades. Liz Young, what you got for me? I've got utilities today. They were a little expensive going into the end of the year, but have become much more attractive from a price perspective. If you don't want to exit equities, buy the Utes. All right. Thank you for that. Josh Brown, what do you have? Uh, Berkshire Hathaway, great diversified business. Stock holds up really well no matter what happens in the economy. I am long and staying. I didn't even get to you, Jim, on Berkshire, which you own as well. Mm-hmm. And what do you make quickly of this oxy thing before you give me your final? Quickly, this this strikes me like Burlington Northern. He started out building a position and then took it private. And I think the size of oxy, that's what he's going to do here. Yeah, we mentioned, I mean, the size of the positions now, what, I think 23.5% is what I, I mean, said earlier. I mean, which way, there's only one way to go if you're going to stay in it. Yeah. Uh, what's your final? Uh, Transocean. This is one of the more risky names in the energy sector. However, there's clear indications that shale well productivity is declining. Oil demand is high, and you're going to have to search for it offshore. Uh, that means day rates on Transocean rigs are going to go up. All right. Oil is uh, up again today. Uh, 73.88. That's about a one and a half percent gain as crude tries to make a little bounce back as we close out the quarter. I'll see you in a couple hours on Closing Bell. Does it for us here. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. 
BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.